Good morning, and welcome to Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today, we're going to tell you about the mysterious and strange occurrences surrounding the Yuba County Five. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe, and let's dive in. Today I'm going to tell you about five friends who lived in and around Yuba City, California. Their family and friends referred to them as the boys, even though they were all between the ages of 24 to 32. The boys bonded over their love for basketball and played together on a local team called the Gateway Gators. The Gateway Gators was a basketball team at the Yuba City Vocational Rehabilitation Center for the Handicapped. Basically, it was a center for people with intellectual disabilities to come together for activities and to have a community. They also helped with job placement and social cues as well. Let me tell you a little bit about the boys. Ted Weir was known as friendly and almost too trusting. He acted as a step-in big brother to Jackie Hewitt, who really looked up to Ted and they spent a lot of their time together. Bill Sterling was known as deeply religious and liked to spend his time spreading his faith or reading books in the library. Jack Madruga and Gary Mathias, the last two of the group, both are army vets. Jack Madruga, after serving in the army, was a busboy until a few months prior to his disappearance when he was laid off. Gary Mathias was in the army until about five years prior to the disappearance. He had been discharged for drug problems. However, he was diagnosed as a schizophrenic. So were the drugs part of the schizophrenia, like something that he was taking to address that? That was my understanding of it. A lot of the articles just said drug problems, but then some would also say that he was discharged because of his mental illness. So my understanding is that they coincided, and that's why he was discharged. Okay. Gary Mathias had a little bit of a history. He had been charged with assault twice, However, since he had been diagnosed with the schizophrenia, he was on his meds and family reported that he was steady and doing well. He had been working for his stepdad's gardening business and they described him as high functioning. All of the boys did have intellectual disabilities. Our story occurs in the 1970s, so a lot of the newspaper articles used words that are not socially acceptable now and they weren't very descriptive with the level of their disabilities. However, I will note that all families describe them as high-functioning. On February 24th, 1978, the boys decided they were going to take a trip to see a basketball game at California State University in Chico, which is about 50 miles south of where they all lived. Both Jack and Gary had driver's licenses. However, the boys decided that Jack was going to drive them to the game and they were gonna drive in his turquoise 1969 Mercury Montego. The boys had a basketball game the next morning and they were all really excited about it. So they were planning to head home right after the game at California State and make sure that they had enough sleep and rest to really do their best in their basketball game the next morning. The game ended around 10 p.m. and the boys drove about three blocks away and stopped at Bears Market to grab some snacks and drinks for their road trip home. At 5 a.m. the next morning, Weir's mom woke up and noticed that her son was not in bed, and she was very concerned because it was unlike the boys to not come home and sleep in their bed at night, especially since they were so excited about their basketball game the next day. 
So she called Sterling's mom and she told Weir's mom that she'd been up since 2 a.m. because her son had also not made it home. They eventually call the other three moms and find out that none of the boys had made it home that night. So is there a reason that Sterling's mom didn't call Weir's mom if she'd been up since 2 a.m. waiting for him to get home? My understanding is that she had already called some of the other mothers and I think they were just waiting and hoping that they just turn into a later night even though it was unusual. They didn't want to believe that something bad had happened. Okay. After they all talked to each other and realized though that the boys had not come home, they decided it was time to call the police and get them involved. Lieutenant Lance Ayers was immediately brought onto the case. He felt extra connected to it because he'd actually gone to high school with Ted Weir and he was committed and I even read articles where he said he was up day and night trying to figure out where these boys were and what happened because it was so strange for them not to come home. However, it wouldn't be until the following Tuesday, February 28th, that they found the first discovery of something that may lead to where the boys are. They had found Jack's abandoned car 70 miles from Chico in the Plumas National Forest up on a deserted mountain road. It was unlocked with one window down and there were no keys. This was odd for a lot of reasons. First off, it was well reported that Jack loved his car and he would never leave it anywhere, especially with the windows down when it was snowing outside. He also never let anybody else drive it. So they found it really strange that he drove up this mountain in a snowstorm with this car. The road going up there also had a lot of ruts and divots, which could be very damaging to a car. So his family basically said there's no way he would have wanted to do this willingly. That's really weird that Jack's car is just sitting in the snow, abandoned. You'd think that they would have... Was it out of gas or anything? Actually, no. (laughs) There was about a quarter tank of gas in it. And they thought, well, maybe it died. But they didn't have the keys. So the investigators hotwired it and it started up perfectly fine. So there were no obvious issues with the car for them to have just abandoned it like that. So there were zero signs of the boys or a reason for them to abandon the car. Yes. What's also weird is... As I mentioned, that the car was found not in the direction of home. They actually, when leaving Chico to head home to Yuba City, would have been south about 50 miles. Instead, they went straight east, kind of weird off the track too. And I believe I read it was 70 miles away from Chico, which is where the game was. And there is no obvious reasons for them to go that way. They didn't know anybody that lived up there. Also, it said that the boys did not like being in the wilderness. One or two of them had gone like camping years prior and absolutely hated it and they had no interest in it. So it seems off-putting that they would just go up into this mountain that is really only used for people who want to go up there and go hiking and camping. Would it be possible that they had gotten lost somehow, taken a wrong turn and just didn't know how to recorrect themselves? People mention that, but also something weird found in the car in the glove box were four maps of California. So they had plenty of way to see, well, in theory, a way back. You know, it is before Google Maps, which would have been much easier, but 
they say to get to where they were, they would have had to take so many weird oddball turns because to get home to Yuba City from Chico, it's basically just two highways. It's a straight shot almost. I do have a map that we can post on our social media that I'm showing Erica right now, and it's a little goofy. That is very out of the way from looking at the map. It almost looks kind of like they would have driven south a little while and then gone east for some reason. Was there anything on the like mileage of the car before they left their house? Um, I don't know the specific um, mileage for this car. I do know that it was reported that they had enough gas to make it home with the quarter tank. So another point too is it was freezing out and they left a car which if they had gotten stuck on the side of the road, they could have sat in for heat at least until the gas ran out. Is there a gas station or anything near where their car was found? The closest place from where they were at is eight miles down, back down the mountain. And I don't know that it was a gas station. I believe it was just a lodge called the Mountain House. You could stay the night there and they had food and drinks, but not a gas station that I know of. But if you remember right after the game, they stopped at a gas station for snacks and stuff. So... They knew that they had enough gas to get home. And I'm sorry if you said this already, but did you say when the car was found? It was found the following Tuesday, four days later. So in theory, it could have just appeared there? Or do they think that it had been there all four days? They believe it had been there. They believe that the night they disappeared, the boys, for some reason, drove up there. And like I said, with the road being rocky and ruts, they expected some damage to the car but there wasn't any which suggests that jack was driving very carefully going up there which would kind of discourage a theory that maybe someone was chasing them he was not driving fast up the mountain so we still have no answer as to why they would be at this mountain no answer for that also um there was some evidence that maybe the tires spun a little but they were five average to large sized men who could have easily pushed this car out of that spot Lieutenant Ayers is grief-stricken, trying to find out what happened to the boys. Sightings from places as far as Ontario and Florida are coming in, but none of them are panning out. He is so invested that he actually consults with a psychic, trying to find out what happened to the boys, because there's just no leads, no traces. And she tells him that in Oroville, there's a two-story red house that's either brick or stained wood with a gravel driveway with the house number 4723 or 4753, and that the boys were taken there. And Lieutenant Ayers drives up and down Oroville for two straight days down every street trying to find this house, and it doesn't exist. Finally, a tip comes in that might actually be the last sightings of the boys. So 55-year-old Joseph Shones was driving up the road that the car was found on, to kind of like scope it out, he wanted to go camping there with his wife and kids, but he wanted to make sure they were going to be able to do it successfully as at some point you hit a lot of snow. And as he's going up there, he's driving his Volkswagen Bug and he gets stuck in the snow. So he gets out and he's trying to push it and he actually starts having a mild heart attack and he's in pain. So he gets back in his car and is just sitting there with the heater on 
in pain, not really knowing what to do. At this point, he is eight miles away from the lodge I mentioned earlier, and he can't physically push the car out. So he's just sitting there and waiting, hoping somebody comes by. Eventually, he says he hears these whistling sounds, and he sees flashlights and maybe headlights to what he says is a pickup truck. And he sees four men and a woman with a baby walking around. A woman with a baby? Yes. And he yells out to them, help, I'm stuck and having a heart attack. And all of a sudden, they stop talking, all the lights go off, and they vanish. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So he has nothing to do but just sit in his car and he's waiting for it to run out. A couple hours later... Joseph actually sees what he describes as flashlights and hears talking again, and he's yelling out again, hey, I need help. And he says, the lights go out and they stop talking. And he just doesn't even know what to do at this point. He's not understanding why these people aren't helping him. Eventually, his vehicle runs out of gas and he's just sitting there in the cold and realizes he has no choice but to hike down eight miles back to the lodge to get some help. He goes down there, he actually makes it, and he recovers, he's fine, but his story raises a lot of questions. Okay, so my first question is, who is this woman with a baby, and why is she on a mountain in the freezing cold in the middle of the night? We don't know. Okay. (laughs) Second question. Yes. Why are there only four guys and not five, or is he just not seeing one of them and there's actually one more? That's what I wonder. Um, A lot of people are skeptical about if the sighting is even accurate because he was having a mild heart attack. So they thought, you know, it was dark. He was in a lot of pain and a lot of distress. Um, I did read an article where they suggest maybe one of the boys, his hair just was long enough and he was holding something that he looked like a woman with a baby. Or maybe he just didn't see the fifth guy. Um, There's a lot of questions about his statement, but ultimately they believe that he did see the boys and a variation of them with someone else or them that night. I forgot to mention, as he was walking down about 50 yards from where his car stalled, he actually passed Jack's car and saw it abandoned on the side of the road, but he didn't think anything of it because he's walking through the snowstorm trying to get down the hill. Because he's having a heart attack yes. and needs <laughs> assistance. But they do believe that this was the last um, known sighting of the boys. So is hallucination something that can be a side effect of a mild heart attack? I tried to look into it. I didn't see anything that says it was from what I gathered because they kept talking about how it was a mild heart attack and him still being able to actually walk the eight miles and stuff. I don't think it was as severe as most people think a heart attack is. 
So I don't know if I believe that he would have been hallucinating. I mean, he did survive for multiple hours in his car in the cold before he decided to traipse the eight miles down to the lodge. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what he saw, but he saw something. Needless to say, on if it was all five boys or they were thinking maybe it was a ruse and there was a woman with a baby up there and she had other guys with her and they stopped to help her because they see this woman with the baby up on the mountain and the guys come in and maybe mug them. But that still raises the question of why they were on the mountain in the first place. And that's the big question. What drew them up there? Because that doesn't, nothing makes sense on why they'd be up there. So is it possible that the woman with the baby showed up at the basketball game and possibly asked for a ride home or something and they decided to be nice and give her a ride home in the mountains? I mean, maybe, but no one's living up there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, some people have like cabins for camping and stuff, but from what I could tell, it's a pretty desolate area. But yeah, that's possible. There was some talk about whether or not their car could have fit another person. I don't think it could have fit a person and a baby. Um, There was a bench seat in the front, so I think they could have gotten one more. She could have been holding the baby. It was the late 70s, and there weren't nearly as many like laws about seatbelts and car seats and things like that. And they used to even think it was just okay for the parents to hold the child in the car. I guess that's possible. It still is odd. Oh, 100%. It's definitely odd. I just, if you talked about it could have been a ruse. So I was just thinking like how far into the ruse could they go if you're wanting to get somebody out to where you're at so that you can do something. Maybe you go to the extent of going to a basketball game and finding somebody. Well, the boys' families do say that they believe there is some type of misleading foul play something happened because they are so sure that the boys would not have gone up there and i believe it was gary's sister-in-law who says she thinks something did happen in the parking lot of the basketball game and maybe she believes that maybe um they witnessed something that they weren't supposed to see and got chased up there but the evidence is a little weird on that because there's not evidence that they would have driven fast up that road Which is why I was thinking maybe they went up there willingly to help somebody out. You said that Ted was very friendly and trusting of people. So if somebody had approached him, especially holding a baby, that can tug on your heartstrings and kind of make you feel like you do need to help them out. I have to be honest, if somebody came up to me and was holding a baby and said, can you give me a ride? And it was a small woman and there were me and five friends, I might say yes, depending on how I felt about the situation. Absolutely. And they... A family member does say that he was trusting two-way fault, so maybe this was the fault. We don't know. And that's the big thing about this case is there's just so many unanswered questions. So we don't have any new leads in this case until June 4th, months later, because remember it happened in February. A group of motorcyclists were going up the mountain on a ride, and at this point a lot of the snow is thawed. It's June. It's warm out. And... About 19 miles, the mileage varies depending on the article you read. It is somewhere around 19 miles, maybe a little less, I don't know. But they come across this Forest Service trailer camp that's deserted. It had a couple trailers. It's actually there for forest rangers in case of emergency because it gets so, the weather conditions are so bad up there. And 
What struck them first is one of the trailers, the window was broken. And then they kind of smelled something. In cases like this, when they smell something, you kind of get an idea of what's going on. But it's never good. They decide they're going to look in and make sure everything's okay because it doesn't smell okay. And they find a body in there. So they go back down the mountain and they get a hold of police. And police work their way up there to see what's going on. Once they get up to the trailer, they find the body of Ted Weir laying in a bed inside the trailer. He had died of exposure and starvation. They only find Ted in there, none of the other four boys. But what's even stranger is what else they find in the trailer. So Ted was covered up with multiple blankets and it appeared to be tucked in by somebody else. Ted's shoes were missing. Beside the bed was a table and his nickel ring with his name engraved on it was there his gold necklace, and his wallet with cash inside. Also on the table, though, was a gold watch with a crystal missing, and none of the families recognized it, so it did not belong to any of the boys. So as far as we know, none of his stuff was stolen? As far as we know, the only thing missing are his shoes. Now, also inside the trailer was matches, plenty of wood furniture, paper books, Plenty of stuff to burn, yet there's no evidence that he had started a fire at any point. There was also enough food in there that all five boys could have survived for a year off of the food. Wow. Because this trailer, like I said earlier, was made for these situations. But if you remember, I said he died of starvation and exposure. Now, was there evidence that he had died in that bed or... Did it seem like he had died somewhere else and then placed in the bed? From how I interpreted it, he died in that bed. He was laying there and for whatever reason wasn't getting up and eating this food. There was evidence based off of the length of his beard and his weight loss. He was 200 pounds the night he disappeared and he had lost anywhere between 80 and 100 pounds. So there's evidence that he was alive for 8 to 13 weeks. Wow. And what we can conclude from that is he was eating, which some of the cans and food had been partially eaten. And some of them open with a can opener. The can opener was a little weird. It's called a P-38. It's used in the army. Not a normal one, you see. It's kind of confusing. But if you remember, Gary and Jack were in the army. So it's possible that they were in the trailer and they used that can opener. But... Like I said, their bodies weren't there. Which and is interesting. Yes. And somehow, Ted died of starvation when there was food there. They even mentioned a locker that never even got opened that was filled with food that was not ate. That's really bizarre. Yes, it's wild. And also, there was a propane tank just around back that could have been turned on that would have provided heat and electricity in the trailer that just somehow got overlooked. That's even weirder. It raises a lot of questions. I have a lot in my head that, and it's just not making any sense to me. No, it really doesn't. One other thing found in the trailer was Gary's shoes, which people kind of wonder, well, maybe he was there and he left at some point and he took Ted's shoes because Ted did have a bigger foot size. So people theorize that if Gary had had frostbite and his 
feet were swollen, maybe he needed the, he decided to take Ted's shoes because they would fit a little bit better. That would make sense. I think so, too. Um, and then, like I said, there's evidence that he was tucked in. So you can guess that someone else at some point was in the trailer with him. So maybe one of the boys had tucked him in before they left to try to be polite and kind towards him. Yeah, and there's a lot of different theories that can come with that. And Gary and Jack, as I've said, they're in the army, so they should know basic skills, survival skills. Right now, all we have is Ted's body dying under suspicious causes. And no evidence that Gary or Jack used any of their military training? Except for possibly the can opener. So cops and investigators start looking through the area around the trailer to see if they can find the bodies or any sign of the other boys. And they actually find 11 and a half miles away from the car, northeast of the trailer, they find the remains of Bill Sterling and Jack Madruga. They had been very scavenged by um, animals. Their bones were kind of all over the place. It made it, I mean, I would say impossible to determine cause of death because there was so little that they were identified through their dental records. The following day is when they find Jackie Hewitt's body a little ways away from them on the same road, though. He's about four miles away from the trailer, and his body, once again, was in different locations, his um, bones, and they identified him through dental records as well. So they think probably that they had been there for a while? Yes. I think they conclude probably that they had passed away somewhere around when it was still cold out, at least there was still snow. Northwest of the trailer, about a quarter of a mile, they did find three wool Forest Service blankets and two flashlights laying by the side of a road. The flashlights were rusted, but they're not sure if those were used by the boys or they're from something else. It was impossible to tell how long those have been out there. But if they were rusted long enough for the snow to probably have been there. Yeah, they they melted. The weather took its course on them. So right now we're left with more questions, not a lot of answers, and we still haven't found Gary Mathias. Gary's still missing? He's still missing. There's no evidence that besides his shoes that he's around. We haven't found any parts of his body, no bones, nothing. And I'm not great at math, but... That's about 40 years, and we still have yet to find Gary's body. They wonder, I mean, I assume they're hopeful he's alive, but likely at this point, he's probably not. They think maybe he just made it further into the um, forest, and with the blizzards and stuff, the body just wasn't found. So let's talk about some theories. One of them, I guess I have a hard time with, is that for whatever reason, Gary had a schizophrenic episode and somehow led the boys up there, which eventually led to their death. That's possible, and maybe that's why he was never found? That's a theory that if he committed something, he ran off so he wouldn't get in trouble and started a new life somewhere. It still amazes me that it's even an option that people can just run away, start a new life somewhere, and nobody ever spot them. I agree, especially, well, nowadays it seems even more strange. In 78, there wasn't quite as much technology holding people accountable, I guess. 
However, I find this theory hard to believe personally. I think it would be hard for him to just go start anew somewhere if he did have some developmental issues and intellectual issues. Because all these boys, though they were high functioning, they relied on their families and they lived with them and they had structure. I think I said it earlier, but they were home every night in their own bed. They didn't just run off and do weird things that would have messed with this structure because they needed the uh, stability. Mm-hmm. Some questions I had while researching this was, I was just really curious how many of the boys actually made it to the trailer because they found the remains away from it. And I wonder if they just didn't quite make it there or if they all made it and for whatever reason took off to try to maybe find help. That's a good point. When you said that the bodies were found a ways away from the trailer in between like the car and the trailer, I just immediately assumed that they had left the trailer for some reason, but that's a good point that maybe they just never made it there in the first place. Yeah, and we, I mean, we know Ted made it there, and we can assume that Gary did because his shoes were there, but he also could have just, like, given his shoes to Ted on the way there, and maybe he never even made it to the trailer, and so I do wonder on that. But that begs the question, then, who tucked Ted in at the trailer? That's a very good point, and who opened up the cans? If... It took military training to know how to use that can opener. I mean, I'm sure an average person could figure it out, but if Ted wasn't even getting up to feed himself from the food that was there, I find it hard to believe that he managed to open the cans himself. Um, You know, and when I read the tucking in thing, they said it was in a way that only someone else could have done it. And I had a lot of questions about that because I feel like you can kind of tuck yourself in. What do you think? To a point, I think you can, but I also feel like somebody else doing it could be a little bit more, because if you tuck like your feet in and then you lay back and like try to tuck your legs in as you lay back, (laughs) you're moving and flopping a little bit. So it's going (laughs) to become (laughs) a little untucked as you're like laying back down. But so you could tuck yourself in quotations around that, but you can't tuck yourself in the way that somebody else could, I don't think. As much as I wonder about that, they stated enough that they must have had some reason that they're like, someone else did this. And I'm not sure, I guess, if I saw somebody tucked in that I would be like, oh, somebody definitely tucked (laughs) them in. It could not have been themselves. But I mean, these are trained professionals, so I'm sure that there was some sort of indication or something that just really stood out to them that said somebody else did this. So I guess what I'm thinking then is maybe his arms were tucked in as well, but that's just another question I have about this case that I don't know the answer to. I also just, I find it hard to believe that they would leave, if assuming they made it to the trailer, they would leave when they could have stayed there and survived off the food and they didn't even try to make a fire. So if Ted was in the bed, say incapacitated, whoever tucked him in, Why weren't they making a fire? Which, if you're going with the theory that they died on the way to the trailer, then I would assume that Gary did make it to the trailer only because his shoes were there. And so Gary is one of the two that is military trained, so he would know how to make a fire. He would have known how to use that can opener. He should know how to be able to survive in an environment that's meant for somebody to survive. But then why didn't he start a fire? That's that's what I'm confused <laughs> oh. about. My, yeah, that's why I'm over here like, 
what was going on that made Gary leave Ted, like let Ted die and then go somewhere else. It's very, it's so confusing. And I just keep going back to why the heck did they go up there? They had no reason to go up that mountain in that area. And I mean, the family is just, they're set that some force or person made them go up there and it was unwillingly. Which I could see happening, especially, like we said, trusting, friendly. Yeah, I do also find it odd. We were talking about maybe a ruse where they wanted to rob them or something. I mentioned Ted's wallet with money in it was right by his body. And that seems like something you would take if you're robbing somebody. If I was robbing somebody, I'd probably go for the cash. Yes. And then start looking for the objects that would sell for a high value. I agree. And I mean, there was jewelry there as well. And I don't know how much it was all worth. And you know, that watch was there that did not belong to any of the boys. So I wonder if it was there previously or whoever was with them laid it there and I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> I don't either. I think question number one is, why were they there? Question number two is, did they all make it to the trailer in the first place? And question number three would be, where the heck is Gary? Yes. What happened? And, you know, that's how this case has unfolded. And I think it's going to remain unsolved until we at least find Gary, but I don't even know that that would answer a lot of questions unless he was alive. So we're all sitting here wondering what's going on, but I don't think we're going to find answers. If you have any theories, we'd love to hear them. Email us at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com for questions or to suggest cases that you would like us to cover. Also, check out our Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast and our Instagram at Crime Over Coffee.